Acts 1, 14 to 15 reads, They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. During this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place. These first believers were known for their prayer. But it must be noted that this prayer was not just private prayer. We notice several things about these praying disciples of Christ. This prayer was constant. This prayer was with the other believers. This prayer was offered in unity among the believers. And finally, this prayer was in response to Jesus' instructions to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit that was to be poured out on all believers. Prayer is critical to the life and advancement of the church. Good morning, everyone. Beautiful sunny day. The snow's not here yet. What more could we ask? Amen? Good. Glad you're happy. Ruach is the Hebrew word for spirit, breath, or wind. In Genesis 1-2, it says the Ruach of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. In your Bibles, it's translated the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. The Holy Spirit is often described as the wind. In Acts 2, verse 2, it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. A little boy asked his grandfather, Grandpa, what is the wind? And the old fisherman said, I cannot explain the wind to you, but I can teach you how to raise your sails. Now, for those of you who are landlubbers, you maybe don't understand what he's talking about, but obviously he's talking about uh, a sailing vessel. And how do we get anywhere? How do we move? But under the power of the wind. Well, Acts shows us how to have the wind of the Spirit in our sails. The attitude and the habits that make way for the fullness of the Holy Spirit is the same attitude and habits that we see in Christ's followers just before the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. So let's jump right in here, and uh, we are studying the book of Acts. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 1 and uh, follow along. There's uh, some very important things that you need to note in your Bibles for future reference. Uh, one of the things that we've been asking you to do is to get in the habit of not just using an electronic version of the scripture, but, but a physical Bible that you can mark with your pen. And uh, in case you didn't know, yes, you do have permission to do that. You can mark your Bibles. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I've got a number of Bibles that I've used over the years, and I'll tell you, every time I go to look at it, it's really the history of God at work in my life. And, uh, and this is what you need to do in your own life. And so the very first thing that we see, the very first attitude that we see is an attitude of obedience. I want you to see this in Acts 1, 12 to 13a. It says, the apostles, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. Where were they? They had just 
witness Christ ascending into heaven. And now they are returning to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is a, a distance of half a mile. And when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. I want you to recognize something, folks. There's some words here that are highlighted in yellow, and I want you to see that there is nothing that is superfluous in the Word of God. Everything is there for a reason. Some of you, when you're reading the Bible, you skip over chunks of the Scripture. You don't stop to meditate on what it means, but you need to understand something. God has got a message for you. He's, he's got something for you to know and something to understand. Why does Luke tell us this in verses 12 and 13a? I'll tell you why. Because he is commenting on the disciples' obedience to Christ's command. Last week, we read uh, uh, that Christ commanded them. Acts 1.4, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised, as I told you before. Luke wants us to understand that these apostles were not making a move, but that they were doing everything according to the command of Jesus Christ. Now, before we go any further, let's stop and let that sink in for a moment. This, this in fact, may be one of the most important things that you are going to learn over the course of the whole year as we go through the book of Acts. Always, always, Obey the master and do what he says. Would you say amen to that? You need to do it, he says. Now, you may not understand why he commands it. You may not fully appreciate the value or the weight or the, or the, the power of what Christ is commanding, but you need to remember that he is the Lord. He is the master. And when we do things outside of the master's will, that's when you and I get into trouble. Can someone say amen to that? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You just can't start making things up, which is something that we have done here in North America an awful lot when it comes to the work of God. I've seen many, many ministries start over the years that uh, just come out of the fertile imagination of these so-called entrepreneurial pastors. We've seen a number of what we would call parachurch organizations organizations that are doing what the church is supposed to do. Now, please, don't anybody go away from here saying that all parachurch organizations are not of God. I'm not saying that. There are some that are very much, uh, very much unique. It's a, what we would call a mission. But understand that we need to learn what it means to do things God's way. We do it his way. And I have been in the ministry for 40 years, and I can tell you I've seen some of the craziest things that you could possibly imagine. In fact, it seems every time there's a new idea, a new wave that goes through town, everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon. What, what you maybe don't know is that I've been protecting you all these years against all the craziness that's out there, all the craziness that's done in the name of Jesus. And so here's the apostles. They're doing exactly what Jesus said to do. He said, don't leave Jerusalem until you get the gift that the Father has promised you. Do nothing but wait. Now, how much of this did they understand? I'm guessing they didn't really understand a lot of this. Remember, 
uh, they had never experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, as we're going to discover next week in Acts chapter 2. They never discovered that. They didn't know anything about that. Now, they did know that the Holy Spirit would come because Jesus said that. And Jesus taught that. We read, read this time and again in the Gospel of John. And by the way, if you haven't read the Gospel of John lately, you need to read it again and look for what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. It's really quite thrilling. They didn't know what it all meant because they hadn't experienced it. But here's what they did know. They did know that obeying Christ was always the first principle. The activists, the busy people in the crowd, they would probably be saying things like this. Are we going to just sit around here all day? Have you heard that? And some of you, maybe as you were looking for instruction or waiting for guidance from God, you think, well, I can't just sit here and do nothing. Yes, you can. You can wait. You can learn to wait. The activists would say, shouldn't we get busy? Shouldn't we do something? Shouldn't we be going to raise the dead or heal people the way Jesus did? But Jesus said, don't make a move, do nothing, but wait, wait for me. And some will say, well, haven't we waited long enough? Exactly how long should we wait? That's a good question, isn't it? Because some of you have got that very question in your own mind. How long should I wait? And the answer is simple. Wait until you receive from the Lord. Don't make a move. Now, here's a life principle I want everyone to understand. This is very critical, and you're going to see that this is important throughout the book of Acts, but it's especially important throughout your life. And the principle is simple, and it's this. Obedience, if, you, if you've got, you're taking notes, write this down. Obedience often comes before understanding and experience. Did you get that? Obedience often comes before understanding and experience. It's only after we have obeyed, it's only after we've done the will of God that we begin to understand, ah, oh, that's why. So you tell your children, do not run out onto the street. The kid says, well, that doesn't make sense to me. My father told me, Alan, don't run out into the street. That didn't make sense to me. I thought I was smarter than my father. And so what I was doing, I was playing a game to see if I could run across the street without getting hit. I was about four years old at the time. On Glenwood Crescent, Nick, that's where I did this deed. And I ran across the street, and I, I, I dodged the car. See, Dad, I know what I'm doing. And then I ran back again, dodged the car, a few more. And then finally, wouldn't you know, just as my dad realized I wasn't in the house, he ran out, and there he caught me running across the street. And this time, as I was running across the street, the car came and hit me right in the hip. But thankfully, he had good brakes, and it didn't do any damage. The real damage came from my father. <laughs> this is a life principle. Even when you don't understand what God is telling you to do, and how many know that the scripture is full of instructions from the Lord? You do it, and with time, you will begin to understand what it is and why it is that God has commanded you. We call this experience, the experience of life. And so we read in verses 13b and 14 and 15, 
It tells us who all was waiting on God. There's 120 believers in, in full. There's 11 disciples. There was Mary. The New Testament tells us there were several women. There was Jesus' family. And then there was all the rest of the disciples. I want you to see that, that the apostles and the disciples are, are distinct. The apostles are distinct among the disciples. Now, here we have 120 people all functioning in total unity and in total obedience to Christ. Folks, this was the power of the early church, is that they were united in their obedience to Christ. And any church where you find its members obedient to Christ, fully of one mind and one purpose, this is a powerful church. A youth ministry, a youth group that is unified, any kind of church that's unified in obedience to Christ is a powerful powerhouse for the glory of God. So the very first attitude and habit that prepares us to receive the wind of the Holy Spirit in our sails is the attitude of obedience. It's not just an attitude, but it's also a habit. Let me ask you the question this morning, are you in the habit of obeying Christ? Or are you in the habit of doing your own thing? Because I can tell you that the mark of the Western church now is that people just do whatever they want to do. They believe whatever they want to believe. One ministry in the States did a, a, a survey asking people to, to indicate whether they believe that gender was something that you, you could assign yourself, if that was something that you could choose on your own. And a full 50% of the people asked believed that gender was something that they would choose. Now, here's the shocking part. 37% of evangelical Christians said the same thing. Folks, you can't just believe whatever you want to believe. You can't just do whatever you want to do. You can't just make up any ministry you want. We do things according to the direction of the Holy Spirit, the direction of God. Would you say amen to that? What's the next thing that we need to do? Well, the thing that we see uh, about these early Christians is that they knew how to pray. The question is, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, first of all, we're gonna wait. The second thing we're gonna do is we're gonna panic. No, no, I'm just seeing if you're awake. Because that's what a lot of people do, and they don't know what to do. Oh, I've got to chew my fingernails off. That always solves every problem, right? I know. I'll have an ulcer. <laughs> I'll call somebody. I'll call the pastor. Because he has all the answers all the time, right? Careful how you answer that. <laughs> I know. I'll return to my old habits. Isn't that often what we do? I'm, I'm panicking. I'm uptight. I, I, I don't know what to do. God is silent. I know, I'll go back to drinking again. I'll go back to smoking pot. That always takes the edge off. Listen, folks, if you want to be a people who are filled with the Spirit, you don't return to the old habits. Remember, when you are born again, you are a brand new creation. Your body, the, the Apostle Paul tells us, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we don't deal with our problems the way we used to do. But now there's a new way. And so for the Christians, the answer to what do you do when you don't know what to do is simple. Pray. 
Say it. Now, we all know that, but whether we do it or not, well, that's completely a different story, isn't it? If I were to follow you around for a day, would I find you praying? How often would I find you praying? How often would you be calling on the name of the Lord? But you see, this is what the early Christians did. Now, you remember, I, I, I was talking a few weeks ago about, about the means of God's grace. And in case you don't know what grace is, it's simply the power of Almighty God that comes upon us and enables us to live the life he has called us to do. If you want the means, you want to come to the means of God's grace, it's, first of all, it's obeying Christ, doing what he wants rather than what you want. And secondly, it's praying. When you pray, you receive the grace or the power of God in your life. How many need the power of God at work in their life? I know I do, so there's four of us. I need the power of, of, of God at work in my life, so the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go to the source of that power, and that power is in prayer. I come before his presence, and by the way, some of us feel like we're not worthy to go into the presence of Almighty God, and the answer, of course, is you're not worthy. However, there is somebody who's worthy. His name is Jesus. He is the perfect one, and we put our faith in him, and it's through Christ that the writer of Hebrews tells us, gives us a boldness and a confidence to go to the throne of God to ask for whatever it is that we need. So the answer is simple, pray. Well, this is what we find the, the early believers doing. They all met together and were, what? Read it with me. Constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. So these first believers did exactly what Jesus modeled to them. He modeled this for them. The disciples, as they follow Jesus around, they find him, he's constantly, where did Jesus, where did he go? I thought he was just, he was just healing somebody here. What happened? He just quietly slipped away to pray. This is the, this is the habit of Christ. In fact, the book of Luke is that some people call it the, the gospel that exposes Christ's prayer life. It's constantly slipping away to pray. We read that in, in the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter one, I think verse 32. Jesus gets up early in the morning, and goes off to a solitary place to do what? To pray. Now, if Jesus, who is the son of God, needs to go and pray, what makes us think that we can do anything without prayer? Hello. Jesus is constantly going to pray. He models this for his disciples. So when you don't know what to do, do what Jesus did. He prayed. In Luke 6, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. Listen to this. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely because there was a man who came to him with a withered hand. And they were watching him closely because here's what the scripture says. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. How dare you? How dare you heal somebody on the Sabbath day? I can't think of a better day to get healed than on the Sabbath day. In fact, I believe every day, every time you come to church on Sunday, God heals you. It may not be physically, but I can tell you it's definitely spiritual. 
That's the power of God, especially at work on the Sabbath. So it says Jesus healed him. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do to him. Don't you love that? And then we read in the next verses, Luke chapter 6, 12 to 13. One day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. Why was he praying? Well, he had lots of followers. I mean, who wouldn't follow Jesus when he's going around healing people? So he's, he's going to the Father. He's saying, Father, show me what's the next step. What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to appoint as my apostles? The ones who were sent as witnesses to his life. Well, at daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be his apostles. And then... The next verse is in Luke chapter 6. It lists the 12 disciples, 11 of which are mentioned here in this passage in Acts 1.13. So Jesus taught his disciples to pray first by his example. Can I just stop for a moment? You parents, do your children watch you pray? Do they see you praying? Is prayer important to you? Because if it's not important to you, then it won't be important to your kids. Is it important to you? Do you pray with your kids? If your child has a problem, what do you do? Do you get angry? Do you bite your nails off? Or do you say, let's pray about this? Your children need to see you praying. Your workmates, you call yourself a Christian. They, they want to know how practical is your Christianity anyway? Do they see you praying? I know some of you may be embarrassed to pray. Don't be embarrassed to pray. Jesus Christ is the power that's, that's behind you. He's the wind in your sails. He's the one that enables you. He's the one that keeps you going. Don't hide that fact. Celebrate it. Rejoice in it. Tell people, hey, man, if it weren't for the power of God at work in my life, I mean, I, I couldn't keep it together. And we, and we just say amen to that. And so Jesus taught his disciples to pray first by example. But then he taught them how to pray. So he modeled to them the importance of prayer, and then he taught them how to pray. And then in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples. John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. Jesus, you, can, you should teach us. And so Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Or every time you pray, pray like this. Or if you're going to pray, this is what you need to pray. And of course, you know what follows. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's how you should pray. Now, don't speech her like I just did. I mean, I'm setting a bad example for you here. You're not going to speech her. This, this, is, this is your prayer agenda. This is, this is, these are the things that you need to pray about, each one of these things that's in that list. Depending on how you look at it, there's at least six petitions there, six things that you need to specifically pray about. And so this is what the disciples are doing. They, they know what to do. They know how to pray. Jesus taught them how. And what happens when you pray? 
Here's what happens, folks. Because people have got a very, very immature understanding of what prayer is. They believe that when, when I pray, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell God what to do. Because God, the almighty, sovereign creator of the heavens and the earth, has no idea what to do unless I come along and tell him. It's absurd, isn't it? And yet that's the immature approach that we have to prayer. I've got to tell him what to do. I've got to remind him what's happening down here. God, don't you see what's going on here? That's how I was busy doing something else. I didn't see that. He's the omniscient one, the all-knowing one. He's the omnipotent one, the all-powerful one. He's the omnipresent one. He's everywhere. So why, why bother praying? I'll tell you why you need to pray. It's because you need to get your mind and your heart aligned with the mind and the heart of God. That's what happens when you pray. And those who get their heart and their mind aligned with the heart and the mind of God are the people whose hearts are set at peace. Show me somebody who's in a turmoil, in a tizzy, who's anxious, uptight, who's scurrying around, running around in circles, uptight, and I'll show you somebody who, who has forgotten that they need to pray. Did you get that? The husbands, next time your wife is uptight and anxious, say, calm down, honey, because she loves it when you say that. <laughs> Let's pray. And ladies, when you see your husbands uptight and anxious and angry because the bills have got to be paid and there's not enough paycheck left at the end of the week, just say, honey, it's okay. Because men like that. Honey, it's okay. Let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And he will provide for us. He'll meet our needs. How do we know that? Because that's what his word tells us. Which leads me to my next point. What do we discover about these these disciples who are praying constantly, united. Well, it says that brother Peter has a meeting. He calls a meeting of, of the people in the upper room. He says, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. This was written in the book of Psalms, where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it, it also says, let someone else take this position. Now, what do you do when nothing makes sense? And I'm sure that the disciples were asking that. Like, did, what, did Jesus make a mistake? How could Jesus calls 12 disciples, and one of, them, one of them actually ends up being a traitor and betrays him? Can we, can we trust Jesus? If, if even Jesus is making mistakes, I mean, how, how on earth am I going to make it in this crazy world? What hope do I have? Well, folks, listen. When you're tempted to lose hope, you're tempted to give up. When you're tempted to say nothing makes sense anymore, if you're, you're tempted to think God, God doesn't know what he's doing, he's confused. I want you to remember this example of the Apostle Peter, who, who takes everybody and says, let's get focused on what the Scripture tells us. What does the Bible tell us? And of course, when, when David talks about, or when, uh, when Peter talks about King David's Psalms, you can read this yourself, Psalm 69, verse 25, and Psalm 109, verse 8. It's actual fulfillment of the prophecy of Judas. No, listen, folks, Jesus didn't make a mistake when he called Judas. 
Jesus, Jesus called the 12 because each one of them had a responsibility. And even Judas. God knew from the beginning of time that Judas was the man that he would use, that God would use, to betray Christ. Because Christ needed to be betrayed. Why? Because Jesus needed to die on the cross. Why did Jesus need to die on the cross? To save us. It was all part of God's great plan. Now, you don't understand that plan. Even though I've just described it to you, you're still not quite sure about this plan. But nevertheless, it's God's plan. It's what God wanted. And guess what? God's will was done. And guess what? Today, I am a Christian. I belong to Christ. And someday when I die, I'm going to be with Christ and I will receive a glorified body because Judas betrayed Jesus 2,000 years ago. The Spirit of God speak to you right now. God knows what he's doing. Even though you don't understand it, even though you don't know what he's doing, even though you don't understand God's great counsel and great plans from the beginning of time, God knows what he's doing. And this is why we turn to Scripture. When I was a youth pastor, I used to get kids coming to me all the time and with their problems. And everybody knows that young people seem to have more problems than just about anybody, except the youth in our church. <laughs> and they're all, I, mean, I, was, I, was, I was being bombarded with questions day and night. Thankfully, back then, there were no such thing as cell phones. <laughs> but I was, like, every chance they got, Pastor Allen, I got to talk. Oh, Pastor Allen, it's the end of the world. If I don't talk now, the whole world is... And it just, this is what it was constantly. And so finally, I just thought, man, I can't, I can't do this. I, I can't do this. And so what I decided is that, what does the Bible tell us? <laughs> what does the Bible say to do? And so I taught the kids what they need to do is they need to go again to, and to the means of grace. What are the means of grace? You have to pray and you have to read your Bible. Now today, we call that doing devotions. And so what I got the kids to do is this. I say, listen, you can call me anytime and you can ask me anything you want and I'll help you with any problem you have. But first, before you do it, is you have to do your devotions. Deal? Deal. I can tell you that I almost lost my job, got nothing to do anymore. <laughs> Not quite. But suddenly, these kids understood that as long as they were praying and reading their Bible every day, the Spirit of God was leading them. What they were doing is they were positioning themselves, they were raising the sails so the Spirit of the living God could drive them along through this life. And it turns out that they didn't need Pastor Allen. What they really needed was Jesus. Isn't that fantastic? Mom and Dad would tell you the same thing. You need to teach your kids how to have a relationship with God because when the going gets tough, and it will, your children need to understand what it is to trust the Lord and be led and directed by the Lord. And so whenever the kids would come along with a problem, I'd say, did you do your devotions? Uh, I'd say, well, you go, you go to a side room or go in the sanctuary and go and pray and read your Bible, and when you're done, then you can come back to me with your question. They never, ever did come back to me. Why? Because the Spirit of God is very good at leading his people. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Gospel of John? The Comforter's coming. 
Don't worry, the comforter's come, the paraclete, the alongside one. He's gonna go with you through life. You're not going through life alone. He's gonna comfort you. He's gonna counsel you. He's gonna direct you. And so you go to the means of grace. You go to prayer. You obey God. You pray. You go into the word. And the next thing you know, you know exactly what to do. And so then I got the youth to start asking each other that every Friday night when they arrived at church. Did you do your devotions today? It was so hilarious watching everybody. Because like the kids are like, uh, not yet, but I'm going to do it right now. It's not a bad idea to, to maybe exercise that in your own home. Maybe get in the habit of asking each other. Not to try to catch each other, but to encourage each other, to remind one another, to hold each other accountable. That's the glory and the power of the church. We hold each other accountable. And we help each other in life's journey. And so the answer is simple. Jesus did not make a mistake. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he chose Judas. I'm going to tell you, folks, when you read Scripture, it boosts your faith and your trust in God, even when nothing makes sense. But wait, there's more. There's the prayer meeting. The very first prayer meeting. And so here's what it says. It says in Acts 1, 23 to 25, so they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. And when they all prayed, oh Lord, you know every heart, show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. And then it says in verse 26, then they cast lots and Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. I'm gonna tell you folks, there's a reason why we have a prayer meeting every Tuesday. And I know some of you are working, and some of you can't get to that prayer meeting. I know some of you are, are introverts like me. <laughs> you don't believe it, do you? But I'm an introvert. And it's, it's, I, have to really, uh, I have to really ask the power of God to help me to function in public amongst many people. That's just a little, little secret you need to know about me. You may feel you're an introvert, prayer meetings are not for you, that's for the extroverts. No, 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 no. There's no footnote in my Bible on Acts chapter one that says that prayer meetings are only for extroverts. Did you get that? It's for everybody. And so I'm just gonna be just totally honest with you right now. We all need to be in prayer meetings. Now, some of you may can't, maybe can't make it to Tuesday, but you need to pray with somebody. You need to be praying with people. You need to be praying with your family. That, that constitutes a prayer meeting, by the way. You need to pray with your wife or with your husband. You need to pray together because where two or more gathered together in my name, says Jesus, there am I in the midst of you. And so the Lord answered their prayer. Matthias was given the job of apostle in place of Judas. And we read in verse 21 and 22 what his job description is. So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the 11 men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us, 
Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. He had a very important job to do. He was a witness to the resurrection of Christ. Now, do you remember I talked to you about the very first creed of the church? And Paul shares it with us in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. It was a creed that, that tells you all the people who saw Jesus. This is the proof that Christ was resurrected from the dead. And that's Matthias's job. It's an important job to do. So they didn't know what to do, so what did they do? They had a prayer meeting together. The first thing on the agenda, on the agenda was the replacement of Judas, and Matthias was chosen. What's the second thing on this apostle or on this uh, prayer meeting that's going on in the upper room before the Holy Spirit came? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. And we have to go back to what we learned last week. Jesus commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What are they doing? They're waiting on God. They're praying, Lord, Lord God, Jesus told us to wait here for the Holy Spirit, and we're doing that now. We're waiting for this gift that has been promised to us. Oh, Lord, send your spirit and baptize us afresh. Hey, if you came to our prayer meetings on Tuesday night, you would discover that Christine Portland prays every single Tuesday night that God would pour out his spirit upon our congregation and that, that God would bring revival. This is what you need to pray for. You need to pray for a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit. How many need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit today? There's some of you who don't put your hand up, but you'll nod. That's good. That's good enough for me. I need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. Because we can do nothing but in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, we're living in dark days, people. I just saw on the news this morning uh, the leader of a pro-life movement, a Catholic man with, I think, it's eight children, the FBI invaded his home with, 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 with guns, massive guns and rifles. The children are screaming. The man's crime is he's standing up for the life of the unborn baby. This is what is coming now. In case you don't know this, this is, this is the world we live in now. This is our new reality. It hasn't hit us that hard here in Winnipeg yet but it's coming. This is the new reality in Canada, in North America. We will be challenged because of our belief system. Everything that we believe is a stench in the nostrils of the people who do not know God. Do you understand that today? Anybody who thinks Christianity is lovey-dovey, warm and cozy and 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 fuzzy-wuzzy, you don't understand Christianity. Jesus said, don't think I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. The truth of Christ is an affront. It offends people because it says to people, you can't do whatever you want to do. You must obey God. And if we're going to thrive and survive in a world that now is anti-Christian, it's not just post-Christian, it's anti-Christian. Understand this. 
I just heard a case is being tried in England that calls, it's, it's calling the Bible hate literature. It's coming, people. And remember, you heard it here first. It's coming. You need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life in order to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and do what he calls you to do. And so we need the Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, come. Come and fill us afresh. Revive us again, O oh God. Do in us what you did in our forefathers. For a thousand years, the West has been, has been under the, the power of the gospel. Oh, yes, we've, there's been lots of things done in the name of God. It has nothing to do with God. But I'm going to tell you, the West has known unprecedented peace and unprecedented prosperity because of the commitment to the word of God. But those days are over. We are now back to the early days of the church. This is the climate in which we live now. And if ever we've needed the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's here and it's now. And the good news is, is that Jesus told us that the Father has promised us the Holy Spirit. Hey, listen, every time I go to a restaurant, if anybody's ever gone to a restaurant with me and I've ordered coffee, you know that every single time the waitress comes around and says, would you like more coffee? What's my answer? Yes, of course I want more coffee. Even if I've only drank that much or even that much, I top it up a little bit more, warm it up. And if I've let it sit there for half an hour and, the, and it's cold, I'll say, yeah, fill it up and let's, let's warm it up. Let's top it up. Folks, this is precisely what we need God to do in our lives, to keep filling us, refreshing us. We need a spiritual warm-up. Would you say amen to that? Some of us are almost empty, and we need, say, we need to say, Lord, fill me, refill me with your spirit. Some of you have gotten, become cold spiritually. God's not here to condemn you or judge you today, but to remind you by his word that he's here to refill you and to refresh you by his spirit. You say, Pastor Allen, but I'm, I'm a sinner. I, I've failed. I've made mistakes. That's okay, because here's what Jesus says. He says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Father, we recognize today that it's your desire to fill us with your spirit. It's your desire, God, to refill us and to refresh us and to renew us. But God, we confess to you today our sin of being distracted by the things of this world. We confess to you, O oh God, our sin of losing sight of all that really matters. And Father, you are bringing to us this warning today because we are living in the last days. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to quicken us, to strengthen us, to empower us, O oh Lord. We need the wind of the Spirit in our sails to drive us along. And we know, God, that if God is for us, who can be against us? And so we rejoice today in your Spirit who dwells in us richly. And so we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me. Amen. Amen. Go and avail yourself to the means of God's grace. Amen? Amen. What is it?
Obey God, pray, read the scripture, and go to prayer meeting. See you Tuesday.